Welcome to the Virgin Active Minds podcast by Virgin Active, where we dive deep into conversations with the best and the brightest minds in the health and well-being world. If you've got questions about health, exercise, or any dimension of well-being, we've got the answers one expert at a time. I'm Mark Cito, your host, because I love all things well-being, from exercise, work, relationships, and going deep inside our minds. I'm here to explore it all with you. This is what they came for. Today, we chat well-being with well-being educator, speaker, and coach, Meg Durham. Feeling good, functioning well, and maintaining strong, healthy relationships, the pillars of well-being, according to Meg. We discuss what well-being is, how to get there, also how we know when we aren't well. Listen out for Meg's five Ps in particular. Meg also works directly with schools and teachers through Open Mind Education with the goal to make well-being a key ingredient in our kids' education. So there is plenty for everyone in this episode. Grab a cuppa, sit back, and enjoy. Meg Durham, welcome to Virgin Active Minds podcast. How are you? I am so well and so exciting to have, excited to have this conversation with you, Mark. I am stoked to have you here and equally very excited to get into this topic. We're talking about well-being, wellness. We will touch on, I guess, you know, what it means to help educate our people in regards to this as well, whether they be young people or not. Um, You know, you've made a life out of this topic equally, I guess, you know, similarly. Um, I also like to keep focus on well-being and wellness, especially being part of the fitness industry and particularly yoga and Pilates. Um, And I think that's why we're probably both quite excited to have this chat this morning. Look, before we jump in, um, let's get a bit of an idea on who you are, what you do, what's brought you to this moment. Oh, well, Mark, you know, it all started for me when I was younger playing schools. I was one of those kids that just wanted to play schools for hours and hours and hours. So there was no doubt in my mind what I would be and what I would do when I was older. It was just a given that I would be a teacher. And so going through primary and secondary school, the only thing that changed for me was what type of teacher. Was I going to be a primary teacher, secondary teacher? And I ended up being a secondary PE and science teacher And it was remarkable. The night before my first class, I was so excited to think that I'm going to walk in and get paid to be a teacher. They're going to be real students. Like I have made it. Like my life is here. Like I've absolutely made it. And the interesting thing is that once you walk into a classroom as a teacher, you quickly realize that it's much harder (laughs) than you thought. (laughs) It's a bit harder than um, playing teddies at home and when you did your four years at university. And that's what led me on this path of well-being and understanding the human element of teaching because I quickly realised that I had no idea how to support the young people in my room, how to support the colleagues in my staff room and then the parents that were coming to me. When I started teaching, Mark, I was 21 and I had parents coming to me talking about their divorce and how to work things out. And I'm thinking, I still live at home and I have no idea. So that took me on a path of studying wellbeing. And now, years later, I share wellbeing education that makes sense in classrooms, staff rooms and organisations all around Australia 
to help people navigate the human side of life. Such a massive topic, right? And I know we're going to, we are about to jump into that and um, kind of explore why the system is the way that it is. But look, I'm quite excited about it. But just quickly, um, a question we like to ask all of our guests right at the start, what gets you out of bed in the morning? To have an impact. Like I really feel like I'm here to have an impact. And the way that I have an impact is sharing what I know. Because I believe that if I get up and share what I know, that's going to have a positive ripple effect. So there are some days when I sort of think, oh, I can't really be bothered. And then I think, well, if I just get up and get going and share what I know, that might help other people get up and get going. Beautiful. All right. Well-being. Let's first start there. Uh, So we've got a bit of a clear picture on what this actually means. So what is well-being to you? Is it just being happy all the time? Is it making lots of money, having the perfect relationship, perfect career? Um, How would you describe well-being? Oh, all of those things and none of those things. (laughs) You know, well-being is such an interesting concept and it's hard to pin down. You know, when I first started out in this field 10 years ago, people didn't understand what it really was. And now we're almost saturated with it. Like I was at the supermarket the other day and even my tissues were wellbeing tissues. I thought, wow, like everything's wellbeing these days. And so for me, the way that I look at it in a very, very basic level is learning how to feel good, function well and relate better. You know, so they're our three pillars because when we feel good, when we're up and about, we're more likely to function well within our relationships. And so that's that relationship piece. If we're functioning well in our life, we're more likely to be in meaningful relationships. And the reverse is true. When we're not feeling very good, when we're feeling on edge, it's really hard to function well. And then it's exceptionally hard to be in relationships. So that's the way that I like to make a really complex idea, quite simple with those three pillars. Mm. And they are interdependent on each other in a way. So it's like that classic, you can't have everything, you know, you can't have all of the main things. Oh, I was going to say you can't really have, you know, we've been taught to believe that you can't have all of these things at the same time. You know, you can't have great relationships, a great job and um, the perfect home and all of these things in in a perfect trio or quad or however many they are. Um, But I guess what you're saying here is that when it comes to uh, relationships functioning and feeling good, um, that ideally they are that there's an interplay between each to help support the other. Absolutely. They can create a real upward spiral, you know, where we look at the broaden and build theory, where we're in this upward spiral, and we can also create a downward spiral. And I'm sure people listening can think straight away times where they're in that upward spiral. So let's think about exercise. You know, people may think, oh, I can't really be bothered going to the gym, going to that workout. And they find a way to get their runners on, get to the class. And by the end, they're like, whoa, I'm so glad I did that. Had a chat to my friend. Now I'm going to go get a healthy smoothie. And that's that upward spiral. And the reverse is true that if I think, oh, I can't be bothered going to the gym, you don't go, then you might be feeling really flat and unmotivated and then you're reaching for sugar. So it all plays together. It's not simple. It is all related like it's just you can't pin it down it's it's an immersion 
you know, it's what comes out of things working together. We can't just put it down to one single part. It's kind of like when you look at a car, you don't look at the car in the, the tiny pieces. You look out how it functions as a whole. And that's how we have to look at people as a whole human being. True. But, I mean, I know some people that have bought a car purely because of the colour. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. So, so what you're saying is that may not be the right investment, just buying a car purely on its, on, on the colour of the car. We're looking at all of the pieces of the car as one. And I guess, look, that, you know, when you go back and listen to some of the other episodes that we've done, whether it's about, you know, gut health or, or whatever, it, it we're coming to this, often we're coming to this conclusion that it is about everything, you know, even in the um, financial wellness discussion we had the other week, you know, even when it comes to finances, you know, there is this much holistic view. And I think sometimes that's what we get a bit stuck on um, or a bit single-minded about when it comes to these topics or wellness in general. Um, If it's just, oh, I'll just do yoga once a week and then that's it. I should be well. Or if I just eat broccoli on Saturdays, I should be well. But it really is looking at this whole picture every day, little bits all the time. Absolutely. And you bring up a really important part, Mark, and that is the consistency. Consistency to do the things that we need to do. And sometimes taking care of our well-being is not fun. You know, you may not want to have the vegetables. You may not want to go for that walk. You may not want to have that difficult conversation. and yet. We need to do it because that's what we need to do to take care of ourselves. So sometimes people have this idea that it has to all feel good and feel easy and in flow, but there's actually a lot of tasks that we have to do to take care of ourselves that we don't want to do. <laughs> like we prefer not to. I don't really want to go to the dentist and yet I go because I know it's important. <laughs> true, true. What's the greatest misconception that people have about well-being? Maybe that's one of them that it's just one aspect of your life um, and therefore that one aspect should fix everything. But what, what do you think it is? And then also this idea that it should be easy, like everything should be easy. It should just flow. It should be effortless. That's a really big myth because I know some of my greatest growth has come when I've actually had to just grind away. Like I have just had to keep showing up and then it gets to a point where it's easy. So that's the first myth. The second myth is, thinking that it's one and done, like, yeah, I'm good. Like I'm sorted now, like tick that box, well-being done, sorted. It does not work like that. It is a daily practice of showing up for ourselves. You know, it's a daily practice of noticing what our minds and our hearts and our bodies need from us and then responding, re- responding accordingly because it constantly changes. You know, day-to-day what we need changes and also seasons of our life, things are changing. If people have got young children or they've got parents who they're dependent on, you know, things change and so our approach needs to change. And so that's something that's a real myth when it comes to wellbeing is that there's this one size fits all or it should be simple and it should, you know, five steps. It's not. It's not simple. It's not linear. It's completely messy and it's very personal and we have to have a real strategy approach to it. And I guess, you know, we can kind of, if we look at your fitness journey very in an isolated way, you know, people eventually realize that fitness or even a yoga practice 
it is tough, right? It's an ongoing tough thing. And when things get really easy, then potentially we're having to change it, right? Because maybe we're getting used to it and that's why it's becoming easy. Um, And it is also a forever job. Like you don't get to the end of a yoga practice. So you can't tick the yoga box because it's a never ending thing and it will be challenging for the rest of our lives. Um, So I guess in a very kind of small way, um, you know, we can look at well-being um, in, in a similar sense. Absolutely. It's never done. Well-being is never done. And I often say it's not a spectator sport. It requires our active participation. We need to show up for ourselves. Yeah, yeah. And it's not something we can purely outsource. <laughs> Oh, that would be great. great. Don't get me wrong, Mark. There are times when I wish I could. And yet, you know, one of my favourite quotes and something my dad used to always say to me when I was younger, if it's to be, it's up to me. Beautiful. I love that quote. Guys, write that one down. I like that. I'm from Narromine, which is a small town in central west New South Wales. Um, You've also lived in regional parts of Australia. Can you tell us a bit about what your experience with well-being is like in regional Australia? It's a really interesting question because, you know, I grew up in Melbourne, so in a city, and then love had me move to the bush. (laughs) And it's interesting in a sense that a lot of our well-being or a lot of our sense of self can come from our environment. You know, so when we change environments, you start to notice the things that are different and things that once propped you up and made you feel good may not be there anymore. So I noticed that when I went to regional Australia and lived in a variety of regional towns that how much I missed that social support of just having people to just hang out with, to go to the gym with or have a chat and that there's less people, there's literally less people around You know, so finding people that you really connect with can be quite hard in rural Australia because there's literally just not as many people. It's kind of like if you think of students in a school, if there's only 200 students, well, they've only got 200 opportunities to connect. However, if they go to another school, they might have 2,000. There's 2,000 opportunities to connect. So that was something that really stood out for me that it can be hard to find opportunities to connect with like-minded people And the way that I did start to connect with like-minded people is just show up to things that I like and that I really enjoyed. And something that really held me was going to the local yoga studio and getting to know people who were doing the class. And they were much older than me and I had a really good relationship and friendship with them because we were doing something that brought me joy and something where I could be myself. And I think that's really interesting lesson for people to think about is the environments in which we're in sometimes we feel like we're the odd one out and yet there's probably nothing odd about us it's just that there's people around you aren't doing the same things as you are or maybe you're a little bit ahead of your time so when I was first talking about some of these concepts years ago people were looking at me like what are you talking about when students do the wrong thing we just yell at them or we shame them, we blame them, we send them to the principal. That's how we do it. That's how we roll. And then I come in and say, oh, it's interesting. I wonder what the unmet need is here. I wonder why they're behaving like this. Surely there's a different way we can do this. That seems quite disruptive. I look a bit strange (laughs) and I look like the one who's doing things differently. 
And yet that is just a part of being in different environments. And so living and being in rural Australia has its strengths in the fact that you can have a lot of freedom to do what you want, but then there's also some limitations in a sense that trying to find other people that want to do that too. Mm, True. And do you think things are changing in regional Australia in regards to well-being? I guess even the awareness of it, or do you think there's still a long way to go? I think things have really changed. I think in the last few years, the conversation about well-being is happening now. I often say it's gone from like under the table, like no problems here, let's not talk about that stuff, to it's on the table now. People are talking about it. People are having conversations within their community. People have been touched by the heartbreak of mental health and the issues that it can present for families and communities. And people are starting to have conversations. We're so fortunate here in Australia. We've got so many services. We've got Headspace. We've got Beyond Blue. We've got so many things that are creating conversations in communities. And now when you travel to most regional towns there'll be one health store there'll be some health store someone who's got a pilates studio someone who's you know gone above the status quo and out there doing things differently so i see a real big change in rural australia and i hope that continues beautiful you work with the acronym spire s-p-i-r-e can you tell us a little bit more about that Yes, SPIRE is one of my favourite frameworks when it comes to wellbeing and thinking about ourselves as a whole human. I first found found out about this framework when I studied with the Whole Being Institute in the USA and one of the lead lecturers was Tal Ben-Shahar and he taught me this in a way that just landed. So I hope it really lands for your listeners now. So SPIRE is, S is spiritual health. So how well is your spirit? Are you living life in alignment with your values? Do you know your North Star? Or are you living life according to everybody else's hopes and dreams for you? Or are you in line with your spirit? So that's the first part. The next part is physical health. So how is your physical body? So think about a car. How well is your physical body running? Is it getting you around or is it sort of limping (laughs) and not really, not quite getting there and needs a little bit of TLC and maintenance? So our physical body, that's really our biology, our sleep, our movement, our nutrition. And then I, I is intellectual health. And this is an area that a lot of people skip over. Intellectual health is real health is really important. It's looking at us and how much we're engaged with life on that stimulation level. How curious are we? How much are we learning? How much are we leaning into challenge and growth and being challenged in an intellectual way? Because a lot of people are busy at the moment and doing a lot of things and yet not really feel like feel like that intellectual part of them is being challenged or nurtured. The next part of the SPIRE model is relational. (laughs) Ah, the big R, relationships. Relationships are the most important thing when it comes to well-being and the most foundational relationship we have is with ourself. So thinking about the quality of relationship you have with yourself, I often laugh with people to say, would you be friends with yourself the way that you treat yourself? You know, really thinking about this in the whole picture because the way that we treat ourselves can really impact the way that we treat others and how 
we are willing or unwilling to be in relationship with others. And then the final piece of the whole being spy model is E, and that's emotional health. How we navigate the human emotions that we all have. It's not just the happy ones, not just the good ones, but it's all emotions. How can we navigate? How can we soothe ourselves and keep moving forward? So Spire is a beautiful way to check in with ourselves and how we are doing in a whole sense. Mm. And it just goes straight back to that holistic idea about what well-being is, right? Like it's and 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 it's interesting how our intellectual well-being is so often forgotten. You know, it's not just doing Sudoku on a Saturday morning, is it? It's it, it really is being like you what you say about being curious and stimulated and that excitement to learn or challenge our mind. Um, but it's often not on the list, is it? No, Mark. And it's something that comes up time and time again when I'm working with teachers, when I'm working with parents, you know, big-hearted professionals who are working really hard their mind is busy, their mind is full. And so the idea of taking time for creativity, for curiosity, feels almost unattainable. And it feels like a self-indulgence. And yet, it is so important, because we know the feeling we get when we're learning new things. It's such an energy, like there's such an energy from listening to an incredible podcast conversation like this one, or reading a book, or starting something new. There's so much life-giving energy that comes with that. But when we're stressed and overwhelmed, we don't really tap into that. Mm. Yeah, I've just started. I studied in Spain in my early 20s. Uh, That was 2005, so that gives you an idea. (laughs) Um, But the last month, I've jumped back onto Duolingo and now learning Spanish again. And it's just... You know, it's five minutes a day. I'm on a 27-day streak at the moment, so I'm trying to do it every day. But it's kind of, uh, you know, of course, as as you're saying, you know, I love my work and there is a lot of creativity in my work, um, but there is a lot of busyness as well. And I've just realized over these past 27 days, when I sit down in the evening to pick up Duolingo to do just one little um, piece of work, five to six minutes, it's incredible how stimulated I am, you know, it's kind of like, this is actually really fun. And it's not necessarily easy. Learning a language is definitely not easy, but I'm really enjoying it. And it's so removed from what I would normally be doing, which could obviously, you know, work as a big thing or exercising or even bushwalking, you know, it's, it's so different to that, but it's giving me something that the other things that I enjoy don't give Absolutely. And you're touching on this point of there's this beautiful balance and this beautiful flow state that comes to us when we're challenged at a rate that we can tolerate. That's when we can really access this beautiful flow state and also this curiosity that just really opens up and gives so much energy to the rest of our life. You know, that five minutes that you're talking about could really put you in a great headspace to have a great conversation with somebody. Yeah. It may be in Spanish. Exactly. It could be a Spanish (laughs) conversation. Who knows? And that's the beauty of the well-being space is it doesn't have to be big things. We don't have to remove ourselves from our lives and go on a retreat. We can do that. That's great. However, there are also small things that we can build into our day daily that remind us of who we are and why we're here and where we want to go. 
Beautiful. Look, let's jump into the school thing, which we did touch on at the start. Um, obviously, a lot of the work that you do, um, you you know, really is around well-being, education, students, teachers, potentially even parents. Um, why do you think that in a lot of schools, um, you know, well-being isn't taught? Like, you know, I think back to, and I grew up in the 90s in a small country town of course it's a different time and a different environment as we discussed um but there was nowhere near any sort of education in regards to what we're talking about spire or the three points in regards to well-being that you mentioned earlier um why can you give us an idea where is it at now you know, is is it is it more widespread? It, you know, for the schools that aren't teaching it, why not? Um, yeah, can you give us enlighten us a little bit on that? Well, you know, the silver lining of this pandemic and these last two years is we have made more progress in the wellbeing space in schools in the last two years than I have seen in the eight beforehand. You know, it has forced this conversation that well-being is not just a fluffy, feel-good, luxury item. It is foundational. It is foundational to learn the skills of how to feel good, function well and relate better. It's not an optional. You know, for a long time, education was very much about there was a teacher out the front and they shared the information. And we have to remember that teaching and learning came from origins of severe discipline and if you didn't listen you will get physically hurt so we've come a very very long way and yet there's still a long way to go because what our young people need from us what young people need from the school system is constantly changing the jobs that they will be walking into we don't even know what they are right now so having these skills to navigate life life as it is as it's hard as it's unexpected they're the skills that really will hold them in the future. And that's what we're noticing in the last few years. It's the schools that already had really strong wellbeing practices in place, had wellbeing teams, had directors of wellbeing, heads of wellbeing, had things in place. They could hold on to those during these really difficult times. And the schools that didn't, it was much harder because they're scrambling to try and find things to make it make sense. And the challenge we have when it comes to schools are, they're a busy place. There's a lot of expectation put into schools. All you have to do is pick up a newspaper and someone saying, oh, the school should teach that. The school should be teaching road safety. They should be doing this. They should be doing that. It feels like at times this dumping ground of everything that any other human ever had to learn has to happen in schools where I really want to open it up to a community conversation. You know, we all need these skills. What are adults doing to go and learn these skills to implement these skills we all need them and there's a place for schools to do that and there's also a place for us as adults to go seek and learn and apply ourselves Mm, 100% I think you know I'm glad you kind of brought that up is that it is a much bigger picture than just dumping it on schools um and and it's one thing you know kind of starting now with kids which is fantastic but there's still a lot of adults like us that are outside of school like it it has to be a much bigger picture um and you know i guess part of it is why this podcast exists you know we, it's kind of what we're trying to do um do you think that it's 
uh, do you think that it's changing? Do you think that, of course, we've you know, it's great to see that, um, you know, there has been some significant change due to the pandemic. Do you think without the pandemic happening that there was still this desire to make change? Oh, yes. The desire is huge. The desire, if you talk to any parent, any teacher, any human who cares about young people, the desire is huge. I don't think the challenge is in the desire. I think the challenge is in the capacity because a lot of the people who we're talking about, they're exhausted. They're already worked to their limit and they haven't had professional training in it as well. You know, that's why I started the work that I do because I went and studied my master's in student wellbeing. And after that two-year intensive program, I was a little bit frustrated to think, why weren't we taught this when I was training to be a teacher? When I was training to be a teacher those four years, the idea of wellbeing wasn't mentioned once. Being able to work with the students, being able to work with families, how do you navigate all of that challenge? It wasn't talked about. What was talked about was lesson planning, was content. You know, I went right down the rabbit hole of microbiology, but we didn't talk once about emotions. And so, you know, there's a real disconnect there that teachers are going into the field of teaching and we're not supported in that human element. You know, the same thing for you know, lots of nurses that I've talked about. You know, we need to be supported in this human element because the emotional labour of these jobs is so, so high. And it's really important that we become skilled in this process. So the more skilled we are, the more likely we can move that desire into action. So it's really important that schools and the bigger system support their people to first feel well themselves, to function well themselves, to know what it is like, and then to teach it. So for example, like no one would go to a body pump class if the instructor had never done body pump before and didn't know how to do it. You know, like it's like, that's just not going to be the best class if the instructor's up there like, I'm pretty sure this is a bar. I'm pretty sure you do some stuff with some music and then we stretch and it's all done. We need people that are skilled, that are prepared, that are supported and being the examples. Mm. Fantastic that this is the work that you're doing, right? This is what you're putting out there. Is that message getting out into the wider education fields? Is that happening? Yes, it's. Yeah, it's definitely happening. The desire is there, the willingness is there, and change takes time because there's always competing priorities. There's always lots of things happening in schools, and that's also another challenge that we have is the wellbeing work that I do is preventative. It's very proactive. It's about creating a shared language. It's about having skills that you can draw on when things are tricky. And so a lot of schools are in a situation where that's really important and yet they've got a lot of tricky things that need their attention right now and in this moment. So trying to balance up that need for acute care and acute challenges and providing preventative, proactive, universal wellbeing education within the community. Now, there's one thing that I've heard you say, which I love, is the the permission to be human. Um, and I guess, you know, when it comes to yoga, we, of you know, maybe not in those exact words, but it's a similar thing, right? It's like the acceptance of who we are exactly as we are in that moment. Um, can you explain to us what, you know, the, that permission to be human is to you? Yes, this was another gem that Tao taught me. And it's this idea that we are humans. We are flawed. 
we have strengths, we have struggles, and we're human. We're not robots. We cannot be perfect all the time. It's unusual to feel like life should be unicorns and rainbows. We are humans having a human experience, and I think this is a part of the missing conversation and also the part of the pandemic has brought this conversation to the surface that we are complex, that, yes, things may be going really well at work and yet at home things are falling apart. You know, permission to be human, permission to have a crappy day, permission to have a great day, permission to have a relationship that's going through a tough patch at the moment, permission to not give it your best, you know, your yoga teaching went a bit flat one day. You know, I think this idea about permission to be human is so important because we spend so much time thinking about what we haven't done right, what we're not doing well, what we should be doing. And I I often think, you know, we have this like imaginary sense of who we should be, our expectations, and we have this imaginary expectation of as a parent, as an employee, as an employer, as a fitness person, we have all these unrealistic, really high fantasy-driven expectations and we set ourselves up for failure. Like we're never enough. We're never good enough. And permission to be human invites in this idea of self-compassion that I am enough. And, yeah, sometimes I stuff up. And another quote that I love to share that my dad said to me, I remember when I was younger, I'd had a really tough day at school and I walked in. I remember just looking to him and he said, Meg, you can't kick 10 every day. That's just life. Like we can't be up and about, kicking 10 goals, nailing it every day. Some days you just got to sit on the bench and that's all right. That's human and we roll with it. And it's so powerful when people start to give themselves permission to be human. Mm. Firstly, Mr. Durham, there's a book here somewhere. (laughs) (laughs) Quotes by Mr. Durham. It's so true. It's kind of, the. I feel like, you know, when I think about that, and it is a practice, right? It's that practice of constantly reminding yourself, you are human, you know, there are going to be days when you're kicking 10. Um, and then there's days when you're not, when you're on the bench. Um, and I think what I feel most, and that it's kind of leading me to my next question in regards to how, what does well-being feel like? It's, you know, I feel like when I really sit with that idea of just being human, and I shouldn't say just because being human is pretty bloody amazing, but it's flawed, right? Our existence is flawed. We are flawed, and it's likely we will be like that for the rest of our lives. When you just sit with that for a moment and give yourself permission to be flawed, it's like, oh, it's like there's a weight lifted, you know what I mean? It's kind of like all that shit on my shoulders has just fallen off. It's like, okay, yeah, that's it's okay. It's okay to be like this today, yeah. It is so okay. And that weight, that coming off our shoulders, is that weight of expectation that we put on ourselves, this weight of how we should be in every single moment. You know, that's exhausting, that's tiring. And there's these five P's that I talk about. These is five patterns of behavior that keep us really exhausted and keep us from being human, from that permission to be human. Are you going to tell us those five P's? <laughs> oh, I'd love to tell you. So 
this is just things that I've observed in myself and the people that I work with, big-hearted people who want to do really good things in the world, and they're just really typical patterns of behaviour, but they're really exhausting and holding us back from living this really rounded life. So the first one is perfecting. If we're in a habit of constantly perfecting, crossing the T's, dotting the I's, constantly perfecting everything. You know, perfectionism behind it is this fear of what if I'm not good enough? What if I am just a mere human like everybody else and I'm not perfect? You know, really thinking about that and how that holds us back so importantly. And all of these patterns that I'm about to share, none of them are bad. None of them are good. It's just about thinking about when and why we're using them. If you're preparing a really important document, if you're a book editor, it's probably pretty important that you bring in that mindset. However, if you're sitting there trying to write an email, you probably don't need to read over it 20 times. So just thinking about this perfectionism and this pattern that can keep us so exhausted and wired. The second one is pleasing. Are you in a habit of pleasing you know, so when people say, can you do something? Oh, yes, yes, yeah, absolutely. You know, you're the one that will do anything for anybody to avoid the potential discomfort of not looking like the good one, the good parent, the good teacher, the good employee, the good instructor. So really thinking about this pleasing notion is often the flip side of pleasing is we're displeasing ourselves. We're spending so much time thinking about how can I please everyone in my environment so they think that I'm a good person and onto it, and yet we don't spend much time thinking about how can I please myself? What brings me pleasure? You know, the idea of pleasure for a lot of people just makes them feel ill, like, oh, that is so selfish and so self-indulgent. And then the third P is pretending. We get in this habit of just pretending all's good, life's fine, great no problems here don't even look here like all's fine and then we get home and just fall apart like oh just exhausted from trying this pretending and I think about the duck on the water or that swan on the water that all's fine on top but underneath they're absolutely grinding their gears and like so exhausted like these are really exhausting patterns if we can't keep them in check the next one is producing if we get in this habit that I am worthy, I am worthwhile when I'm producing something. I have to produce. You know, so even going on a walk can't just be a walk. I have to be listening to a podcast for work or I have to be doing this for that. I can't just wash up the dishes. I've got to be doing my deep breaths. Like this idea that I am worthy when I'm producing. And so the flip side is the idea of rest is, oh, that's lazy. Why would you rest? That just does not make sense. We have to be producing because we're only worthy when we're producing And the final one is performing. You know, have we got into a habit of just performing in our lives? Like our lives are performative. We're constantly on. It's like we're like, and it's dancing. Like, look at me, look at me. I'm fantastic. It's like this. And that's all exhausting. And all of these five Ps, all of these five patterns, Mark, are holding us back from the human that we are. And that is exhausting. And that's all of that weight can really hold heavy on our shoulders. Mm. I'm surprised we've not seen these five Ps somewhere. Like the, the so many triggers throughout those five Ps, especially the producing one. I think you've just like nailed my life. <laughs> <laughs> it's so funny because when I share these five Ps, Mark, everyone's like, have you been in my house? <laughs> have you been watching? I'm like, no, 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 no. 
I am human too. I am here. I am in the peas. I'm in the pea dance. And that's why I often laugh that when we come into this world, we get the pea playbook. And the pea playbook says, if you just do all these peas, you will be happy. And I'm here to tell you, if you just do all these peas, you will be exhausted, bitter and resentful and disconnected to your life. So we need a new playbook. And I do have a new playbook, but we can talk about that another time. <laughs> wow. Yes. Um, yeah. You've just, I'm speechless. It's like, yes, absolutely. Just like what your friends have said, if you've been in my house, it just feels like there's so many things that have been nailed with those five Ps. It's, yeah, really. It's nice to be, um, I guess, brought aware of it. That's for sure. Um, and it is, you know, that is the playbook that we're often given. It's what we're taught, taught what we're taught at school, what we're taught by, you know, probably well, our very well-intentioned parents and our culture. Um, and, you know, and of course, this is why well-being is on the table now even more so because potentially, you know what, we need to probably look at the way we're doing things. Um, so we are feeling more balanced and lighter. Um, we spoke about at the start, uh, you know, what well-being is, um, you know, we spoke about relationship, uh, functioning and feeling good. Are you able to expand just a little bit on what that feeling good is? Like, is there, you know, what are we kind of looking for? Um, like, what is the feeling? Is it, is it a physical thing? Is it an emotional thing? Um, I guess I'm just, you know, can we illuminate to the listeners what the potential trigger might be, whether that's a positive to say, hey, you are feeling well, or it's a, you know what, maybe you're not feeling so well. Yes, there are so many little cues in our life that inform us to how we are feeling, functioning and relating to others. And so my invitation here is recall a time in your life where you felt like you, like where you really felt like you in your essence and really thinking about what did that feel like in your body? Generally, you're feeling happy, you're feeling relaxed, you're probably feeling a little bit of excitement too, like there's this edge there, you know, there's that beautiful edge, it's not disengagement. And then how are you functioning? You're probably doing things that you enjoy, you're probably quite clear in your thinking. And in relationships, some of our best memories, we're in deep and meaningful relationships with others, we're open, we're receptive, and really thinking about for you, what does it look like? Because for me, it looks like being in deep and meaningful connection with my family and friends. And I know that the only way that I can do that is if I take care of myself. You know, I know that I'm a pretty rubbish wife and a pretty rubbish speaker and um, pretty rubbish parent if I'm not taking care of myself. You know, that's just what happens. So really starting to join the dots for yourself about what is it for you? You know, so think about that spire and as you're just going through it, do you know your values? Are you living your values or do you just talk about it and then you do something else? Like physically, how is your body? You know, a really important thing that we need to check in with is our sleep. You know, the quality of our sleep really sets up how we're going to function throughout the day. We've all had periods where we've had disrupted sleep and woken up and thought, I 
cannot wait to get back to bed. Like I am done with the day. It hasn't even started. So really thinking about those basics, the quality of sleep, quality of our nutrition and quality of our movement, because once we have those in place, generally we have an opportunity to like, oh, I'm a bit up and about now and I can think clearly. You know, that is a real sign that when we're well, we can think clearly and we can look forward to the future with anticipation and hope. Beautiful. And it's kind of, you know, you touched on um, sleep, movement, food, and I guess it's almost like those three are so critical even to even think about Spire, you know what I mean? It's like, let's just get the basic human meat needs met right now, today, in a good way. Um and so, you know, that almost sets a bit of a foundation for your greater well-being. Um, while we're there, you, in particular, physical um, movement, uh, you used to be a group exercise instructor. Um, so I would assume that you're going to vouch for exercise. But can you talk to us a little bit about the importance of exercise when it comes to well-being? Exercise is absolutely foundational. Like we evolved to move, to move our bodies out in the world, to be out and about doing things, to be engaged with other people, to be moving our bodies. And it is just so important in so many different ways. If you think about the spire, the physical leeches into every single element. You know, for me personally, I'm someone who gets up and I exercise every morning, rain, hail or shine. I'll be swimming, running, riding, walking. I'll be doing something because I know that if I don't, I function like a different person. Like I feel and relate differently if I don't exercise. So we all know the typical benefits of exercise, very traditional things. We feel good, we're up and about. But another benefit is we're out in the world. We're actually generally leaving our homes and going to somewhere, if that's going for a walk, if that's going to the gym, and that's sending signs to our brain that we're safe, that we're capable, that we can do things in the world, that we're up and about. Because we often find when people are having a real struggle in their life, that's the first thing to go. The idea of going outside, the idea of engaging with other people just seems completely exhausting and too hard. So one of the for me, the important thing is when we get up and out, we're showing ourselves that we're capable and that we can do things. We can make changes in our life. And that's why it's this beautiful reaffirming cycle of, you know, you first go to your class. I still remember going to my first body step class as a participant. <laughs> what on earth is happening in here? Like, I don't even know what side of my step I'm meant to be on. And then they're on that side. And then this I'm on this side and I'm tripping over my feet. And this is just a disaster. But then with every class, I got a little bit better and a little bit better. And then I got to a point where I knew it, like I knew it back to front and I absolutely loved it. And then when I became an instructor, you know, I often last, my very first body pump class ever was a chest track. I'm pretty sure it was Bon Jovi. And I had practiced over and over and over again. Like I was ready. It was my first ever track. I was team teaching, ready to go. Music started. I'm there. I said nothing. I couldn't get it out. Like I couldn't get the cue out. And every time I knew it was for me, like nothing nothing came out. And I was so embarrassed. These beautiful participants did an 
um, you know, three and a half minutes of singles because I couldn't get anything out. And I felt so embarrassed. But then I went back and I did it again and I did it again. And I think that's what fitness can teach us is if we keep showing up, we keep challenging ourselves that we are really capable of doing extraordinary things. And that's what fitness can teach us, that through the discomfort, gains can happen. Mm, I look, I really love, you know, it wasn't the answer that I expected, to be honest. You know, it's kind of looking at it in a way that, yes, challenge can teach us so much. You know, how do we face challenge? You know, in the safety of this group exercise room, picking up this bar, how do you face challenge, you know? And it's kind of this microcosm for what could be, you know, your, your the macro world, the greater world, you're outside of the gym life. But also too, I really liked how you said around um, getting outside, whether it's going for a walk or going to the gym, being amongst others, you know, we're telling ourselves, our brain, our spirit that, we're safe, you know, like we have the ability to safely go outside, travel to the gym, be around others, connect with others. And that's sending this signal of safety and support and um, I guess a, a sense of encouragement. I really like how, you know, I really like how you looked at fitness in that sense. Um, and these are things that, even me sitting here right now, I didn't really expect that from the answer, right? It's not the not the typical things that we think about in regards to the benefits of having committed ongoing exercise regime. Um, so, yeah, thank you very much for sharing that and, uh, you know, highlighting that. Um, and also, too, I tried step once and that was, I was... That was a nightmare. It was funny. I was able to laugh and everyone in the room was laughing probably at me. But my God, that was, uh, look, I'm not putting step down. Please go and try it. Um, But man, that was a challenge. I just had no idea what was going on. My brain just did not work like that. Oh, and a beautiful part of that is when I became a step instructor and I saw new people in the room, I would be up to them straight away and say, this is going to be a bit funny. Like this is going to feel a little bit funny, a little bit awkward. You're going to have some times where you're like, I don't even know where I am. And just keep coming back. Like don't let this be your, oh, this is too hard, I'm going to walk away. And that's why I think fitness is so important because it teaches us that lesson of just show up again you know most people can do a 5k run if they really put their mind to it you know if there's underlying physiology is fine most people can do it it's just about showing up and putting in the effort and not thinking oh it's not for me it's too hard like most people can do it if they just keep showing up okay i'll give it another go Get back in that class. <laughs> There's my intellectual wellness challenge for this week. Because um, it was more into, it was more in my brain than anything. Like I just could anyway, it's enough about step. Um, look, I listened to the first episode of your podcast. Um, and I gotta say, it was so touching. Um, and so much depth to that first episode. Um, and guys, if you haven't had a listen, then please head across uh, to the School of Wellbeing uh, podcast with Meg Durham. I don't want to necessarily jump into, I think everyone should go and listen to that episode. I don't necessarily want to jump into the content of it. Um, but what do you think 
you know, you shared a story there, right? And I think it's captured and it means something to a lot of people. Um, So what do you think, you know, the importance of sharing your story, listening to other stories, engaging in storytelling, you know, what sort of role can that play in regards to wellbeing? I think it's transformative transformative like story transforms the way that we feel about ourselves, the way that we feel about others it has the potential to open our minds and hearts to a whole new way of being and it takes courage to get to a point where we're at a position to be able to share our stories you know for me to be able to do that podcast I knew that I had to start the podcast with sharing my story because it would be unfair to be asking other people to share their heartfelt stories if I hadn't have shared. So I sort of had in my mind that I'm first up, I'm going to share, share in my own way. And there's something really liberating in it. Like it's completely uncomfortable. You know, pretty much everything we've talked about today, it's uncomfortable at the start, really uncomfortable. And yet it is so rewarding when you hear someone say, me too, I get it. I felt like that too. Oh, I'm not the only one. Oh, I thought it was just me. Oh, and we start to realise this theme of permission to be human, that everybody has a story that will absolutely break our hearts because we're not immune, we're human. And everybody has a story where you just want to fist pump and like, yeah, like good on you, like you did that. And I think the more that we can share our stories and be authentic in the way that we share, the more other people have the opportunity to learn. Because if we circle back to the P's, if we're in this P mindset, we don't share honestly. We share with a filter that makes sure that we look perfect, that we look like we're onto it, that we kick 10 every day and all's fine here. And that kind of sharing can be quite unhelpful because people listening can't resonate with it. You know, there's such a disconnect with the human experience. The human experience is completely messy. And we have moments where we're just blindsided by life and think, what even is that? Like, there's no playbook for this one. Like, this is really hard going. And so for me, sharing allows other people to see themselves, to articulate things that they probably never noticed, and it gives them a language to then hopefully go and share their own story. Hmm. Beautiful. And and I imagine quite cathartic as well, right? Like being able to share something that's so deep within you. Yeah, it's, it, it was a beautiful story and, and I hope that our listeners can go and have a listen. Well, as you said earlier, Mark, it's a release of that pressure mm. because now as I show up, people know who I am. If they listen to my story, they know more about me than I'll ever know about them and I just show up as I am. Heading back to relationships, um, of course, we have all had relationships that are really right for us. Um but also relationships that are probably quite wrong. <laughs> um, I've got, it's kind of t- a two pronged question. Um, for those relationships that are wrong, is there still value in learning from them? Um, and how do we know that they might be wrong for us? Oh, I love these questions, Mark, because it comes back to this knowing, like what is right for us? So it will unpack that after the first question. So the first question about difficult relationships, are they helpful? Absolutely. 
you know, because difficult relationships, that could be with an intimate partner, that could be with a difficult boss, it could be with your kids. Like difficult relationships really teach us about our strengths, really teach us about our boundaries. What are we willing to put up with and what are we not? You know, so sometimes it's the most difficult relationships where we really found that courage that we never knew that we had or that confidence that we never knew that we had. But because we were pushed into a sense of like, I need to stand up for myself or I need to do things differently, we do things differently. So absolutely difficult relationships can teach us things. And also thinking about how do we nurture ourselves in relationship? Because relationships are so complex and there's so many areas that we won't touch, but there's this part of who am I in this relationship? You know, is it bringing out the best in me? You know, not all the time because even the best relationships don't always bring out the best. You know, permission to be human. I have some times where I'm definitely not at my best. However, the majority of times it's this sitting with this question is, is this person bringing out the best in me? Are they helping me? Are they supporting me to grow, to grow, to thrive, to reach for more? Or are they holding me back? Do they want to see me stuck, see me doing the same things, really limiting my potential and who I talk with and what I do? And I think that's, for me, the real distinction when it comes to relationships is how it makes us feel and how it impacts the way that we function because that is crucial. I remember... At school, when I was at school, there was no talk about relationships, no conversation about relationship education. It was essentially an unwritten law in, you know, secondary school that if you had a boyfriend or if you had a girlfriend, that's you're winning. Like it's not about the quality or the type. It is just the fact that you have one. And I think we need to move beyond that and think about, okay, you have one or you don't have one, but it's about the impact we're having on each other. Mm. I can tell you it's, again, you know, going back to school, of course, and, and you know, we're obviously relationship, um, uh, the well-being of relationships isn't often taught. Um, I can remember back to being in year eight, early 90s, small country town of Narromine and being told by our um, PE teacher that, you know, and I was growing up um, gay in a small town. And I remember this is, I remember it so clearly. It was so poignant, even at that time when things were still so unsure for me, but I remember him saying, you know, some of you are going to have attraction to um, people of the same sex, but I can guarantee you it's just a phase and it will go away. And I held on to that for a long time, a long time. Right. Um, and of course, you know, you know, I'm. I would hope that that is not being said these days. But I guess it still kind of highlights the importance of, you know, what we are teaching, not just our kids, but also, you know, how we're engaging in relationships ourselves. Absolutely, and that's how we learn. We learn the art of relationship from watching the people around us in relationship. You know, a lot of this well-being education we learn from watching the adults around us. So how are the adults around us working through conflict? How are they supporting each other when things are going well? 
You know, that's something that we don't talk about. You know, a real sign of a strong relationship is when something's going really well for the other person, that the other person can be there, that they can celebrate. You know, for a lot of traditional relationships, they're not really good when it comes to when things are going well. You know, they don't know how to be in relationship when things are going well. So really thinking about these nuances of relationship and us as adults, we have such a responsibility in the way that we act and the way that we're in relationship because we're role modeling relationship for the next generation. And when it comes to COVID, um, obviously it's affected all of us um, and it's affected all of us in different ways. For children in particular, um, what do you think are some of the main effects that it's going to have or has had uh, and potentially, you know, the ongoing challenges? It's a really interesting question and something that I've thought about lots in the last two years and that it's going to be so different for every student, for every child, depending on their environment in which they were in in that period of time. You know, because what we know when it comes to resilience, when it comes to well-being, the most important part, the most crucial pillar for young people is the adults around them. You know, so the question's really like, how were the adults around them during that period? And that will inform how they were going through that period. You know, so for example, there may be some young people that the parents really didn't fare very well in that period. Like it was a really tough and it was really uncertain and there was a lot of struggle. And so for that young person, the last 18 months have felt really uncertain, a lot of struggle, a lot of anxiety, because anxiety is that fear of the future. And so that can come out in all kinds of ways that can come out in ways that we try and cope and our coping strategies can be healthy and helpful or they can be unhealthy and unhelpful. So really thinking about the nuances and the complexities of the system in which the young person is in, thinking about how the school set up the remote learning how did that work was there lots of connection you know I know lots of schools on a Wednesday they didn't have any formal classes it was well-being Wednesday so they just did well-being check-ins and really nurtured the individual students and I know some other schools they didn't have that um, set up they didn't have the framework and it was very traditional and there was a real loss of connection not much connection so really thinking about how much connection these young people had during the period how much support they had to process all of the things that were going on in their world. And then if we're coming back to that spire model, physically, how were they? Did they sleep? How was their sleep? How was their movement? How was their nourishment? And if we start to find out that information, then we'll be able to know how that individual student is going. And in a general sense, I think, it's been a real it's been a real challenge for some students especially the students that get so much energy from being in a school environment and absolutely love it and there are other students where they've loved it they've loved not having to go to school not having to deal with the social pressures not having to deal with the social anxiety it means mum and dad were home and mum and dad are never home so they've loved having this beautiful nest and security so i can't say how it's impacted it's because it's so varied and so nuanced and so different but all I can say is there's definitely an impact I don't know what or how but there's an impact that we'll be feeling for years to come 
A hundred percent. And I guess it's kind of what unfolds over this next period, right? As we come out the other side of this pandemic or potentially, you know, how we continue to live inside of this new kind of normal. I just wanted to touch on changes and transitions. You know, they can be sometimes the most demanding, challenging times, being in between jobs, losing a loved one, uh, a breakdown of a relationship. You know, these are often things that we're faced at different times. Um, how do we how do we navigate these sorts of you know life changing transitions? Oh, the first thing that comes to mind is I've got a beautiful teacher, Maria Swa, and she's written a book. It's a short course in happiness after loss and other dark and difficult times. And she starts out with the book in the book saying, "How do we do this? Like, how do we actually do this? These tough things when someone has passed away." when your life has blindsided you, like how do we navigate these times? And I think the way that we navigate it is one choice at a time, just one choice at a time that is wrapped up in this permission to be human and thinking about if the day feels too overwhelming, if it feels too overwhelming to think about what am I going to do for this day, just think about a time period that's manageable for you you know, the next hour, you know, just work in little, little sprints that is possible for you to tolerate. Because if you're, if you don't have a job right now and you're in between jobs, there's no point thinking about three months down the track, six months down the track, where do I want to be in five months down the track? That may (laughs) spark a lot of anxiety and a lot of unknowns and a ripple effect of decisions that you're just not ready to make yet. So in this moment, what can I do? What resources can I call upon? Internal resources. So how can I support myself? And really importantly, how can I call on external resources? How can I reach out to friends and family? You know, I do a lot of work with teachers and a beautiful teacher a few weeks ago said, Meg, what I've worked out is people will catch me if I let them know that I'm falling. You know, because I've been wanting people to catch me for years, but they don't know I'm falling because she's doing all the P's. And when we're doing all the P's, people don't know. And so it's really important that when we're going through these struggles, permission to be human, one choice at a time in a time period that we can tolerate and reach out, reach out to other people and let other people in to witness your struggle, to be with you on the journey. They don't have to fix it. They don't have to solve it, but just be there with you because eventually choice by choice day by day things will change and you will feel a little bit better it's coming back to this idea of fitness you know when I started out at body pump I I was absolutely hopeless and I couldn't get the cue out and then eventually I listened to the song once and I just make it up on the spot but it takes time and practice so I think really gently really slowly and call upon your support network Beautiful. I think those are some beautiful takeaways right there. What does being in a state of resilience mean to you? Oh, I think it's very much what I've just mentioned. It's about, for me personally, is about a faith in myself to manage and navigate the ups and downs of life. To be able to call upon those internal and external resources to make just the next best step. And it's about able to face reality as it is because a lot of our suffering is not so much the event. Yes, events are bad and think really bad things happen to really good people and yet it's how we resist it. 
we resist reality. We wish it didn't happen. It's, or we um, get ourselves down. We might, I, I shouldn't be taking this long to get over it. I'm useless. Oh, I should be quicker. I should be this. I should be that. Oh gosh, I'm not resilient. I'm not this. I'm not that. Take a breath, permission to be human and take the next best step. What would be your number one piece of advice for parents right now? My number one piece of advice would definitely be charge your battery. And so the battery is something really, really simple that I teach everywhere I go. And it's five key elements that we need to, five key needs that we need to meet every 24 hours. So the questions are, in the last 24 hours, have you had enough sleep for your body, movement for your body, nourishment for your body, rest and quality connection. If you are a parent and you struggle to take care of yourself, you struggle with the idea of feeling guilty, that it's selfish, all of those things, just pause. And if you can't do it for yourself, do it for your kids. Your kids are watching you. The way that you take care of yourself will become the way that they take care of themselves. It is so important that we charge our battery and so then we can be more present with our children and they can watch from our example, not what we say, but what we do. Mm. I guess there's a two-pronged benefit there, right? Like you're working on yourself, but you're also role modeling this for your kids as well. It's incredible what can happen when you start to role model your well-being strategies in front of your children or students. And we know from the research that that's the most powerful thing that we can do for young people as adults is to role model. So that could simply be, whoa, I'm feeling really overwhelmed. Like my head is racing. It is so busy. I'm going to go for a walk. I'm going to take the dog for a walk and I'll be back. When I, when I come back, I'll be able to chat with you and I'll have some more time for you. And so they're getting the message that, ah, oh, adults get overwhelmed. Adults get racy heads. Oh, and there's something you can go for a walk and it feels better. And so when they start to get a racy head and overwhelmed, they think, ah, oh, I could just go for a walk because that's what mum does. And by role modeling and being really explicit and using narrative, so we're telling, we're coaching ourselves out loud, we're also coaching our young people how to manage. Right. And what are your thoughts on the pursuit of happiness? Should we be happy all the time? Is that our default as human, is just happiness? And therefore, if that's our default, then when we're not happy, we're wrong? <laughs> oh, Gosh, the pursuit of happiness. You know, for me, it, I'm not in the pursuit of happiness because for me, if everything was happy, I wouldn't feel the depth. I wouldn't feel the meaning. Like I'm in the pursuit of deep and meaningful life, you know, to be in relationship with others. I think the way that we can move forward is understanding the yin and the yang, you know, the shade and the light to actually understand everything that life has to offer and what we know is that if we're constantly chasing, we're forgetting what we have. So if we get into this cycle of I'll be happy when, and then we get to the when, and then we realize, oh, I'm still not happy. Okay, I'll be happy when, get there, still not happy, and we go up and up and up. And I remember someone sharing once the analogy that if you keep going up, be, so if you're going up this I'll be happy when ladder, make sure that your ladder is leaning against something where you actually want to go. Because for a lot of people, they're going up this imaginary ladder 
platter that is filled with the peas and then they get to this point of I've got all this stuff that should make me happy that ticks all the boxes and yet I'm miserable. I'm completely disconnected to myself and disconnected to my life. And then you can't carry all that stuff back down the ladder. <laughs> no, then you've got to find like a whole new ladder, new skills and like work it out, find someone else who can help you with their ladder. You know? And that's when the real fun begins because that's when we're starting to live life on our own terms. And that's when I like to bring in this idea of the C playbook, which is about living in a congruent way that lights you up. Yeah, Okay. And, you know, so critical for right now, you know, let's, let's make sure that, uh, you know, it's, it, of course, yeah, no matter how old you are, we can be working on this. We can have some enlightening moments with this and we can make sure that that ladder is leaning up against, you know, the, the, the actual place we want to go. Um, but I guess, especially for the work that you do in regards to kids and, and education in schools, so critical, right? Like so critical, you know, we've been... So critical and yet so challenging because it has been built up in a system that is very performance-based, that is very tangible in you get this number at the end of year 12, stamp you and then move you on. So we're trying to navigate a system that has a lot of complexities about what is performance, what is learning, what is well-being you know, and opening up some tricky conversations because it's not, you can't just pop it in an Excel spreadsheet. It's not so tidy. Yeah. And if you could create a class for kids everywhere, what would you call it and what would it teach? Oh, it's so interesting because years ago I did create MindFit, which is about being mentally fit for life. And in that program, it goes year seven, eight, and nine. But there was one unit that stood out for me and it was called Color My World. And it was all about the permission to be human and how important every emotion is. Every emotion colours our world. We don't want a world that is just full of one or two colours. We need all the emotions to really light up our life and how we can navigate these different emotions and that it is human to feel jealousy or anger or happiness or sadness or despair. It's all human. Permission to be human. And... What are we going to do next? So, yes, I'm feeling angry and it's not okay to hit somebody. So, like, really starting to give young people that autonomy and that understanding of, yep, this is all normal, this is what happens, and my actions make a real difference. Beautiful. And I think that colour my world class, I mean, that could be for anyone at any age really, right? Like... Let's be okay. I don't know if okay is the right word, but, you know, let's acknowledge all of our emotion, right? No matter how great or uncomfortable, like the whole spectrum, the whole rainbow is part of this human experience and it's all warranted. It's been so great chatting to you. Um, I've uh, so many gold nuggets in here. The, the, the five P's are really standing out for me. Um, and, of course, looking at, um, you know, relationships, I think, is another big standout for me and probably something I really want to consider myself. Um, uh, and, and, you know, what you spoke about, you know, what does wellness feel like? Are you able to call on that support network? Um, 
yeah, I think I think similarly to that um, intellectual uh, wellness, I guess potentially some of us also in regards to relationships are not always, uh, I get actively building those things. You know, sometimes it can be expected or taken for granted. Um, so I really love that you, you, re- you really brought that to life for us. Um, Meg, a question we like to ask all of our guests at the end. Um, what do you want more than anything else in life? Uh, to be surrounded and embraced with deep and meaningful relationships. Mm, beautiful. What a great way to finish. It's been so great chatting to you. Thank you so much for spending this time with us on the Virgin Active Minds podcast. Um, Where can people find you if they want to reach out? Uh, I love to spend time on Instagram. So it's Meg Durham underscore underscore. And the website is openmindeducation.com and LinkedIn for any educators that would like some education specific material. Beautiful. We'll make sure those links are in the show notes. Meg Durham, thank you so much for joining us. um, And we look forward to potentially chatting in the future. Thanks so much, Mark. It's been an absolute pleasure to share what I love. I really hope you enjoyed this chat as much as I did. Those five Ps caused some serious triggers. Who am I when I'm not producing? I really need to sit with that. Now, if you're loving this podcast, please hit subscribe, tell some friends and family. But if you could also give us a rating on Apple Podcasts, that would go a long way. Thank you so much for joining me in today's episode. I look forward to seeing you next time.